You're here for another episode of Two Quick Things. So I've been thinking about a lot about power and um, this conversation uh, is so crucial in my mind because I think there is a disconnect between the expectations and, and I, I view the world through the lens of queer black woman um, or gay black woman. Those are the two, two identities that I interchange with between uh, queer and gay. And there are so many expectations of power. So as a black woman, there is an expectation, um, but also at the same time, a discomfort in the way that people ascribe power to me. So this is going to come out kind of however it comes out. So I'm in a position right now where I have um, professionally power. So the title that I have has a level of power that's associated with it. And there are a lot of expectations of what other people think that I can do to um, use my power for good or for evil, um, to influence change, to create change, to stop things from happening. And that's that's fine and dandy and that sounds great. And then there's the reality of the discomfort that people f have and feel when I need to exert my power, if you will. So there's so many expectations of how I should do it and how it should sound um, and what it should look like to other people. Forget the fact that I have my own ways of navigating that power, the power that I, the positional power that I have in a system that's not designed to see me. The system being education, just generally as a whole, it's not. It's not. It wasn't designed for me. It can sometimes feel like I am a, a square pig trying to go into a round hole, if you will. Um, but it's not designed for me. So when I show up in all that I am and all of my identities, it is is disconcerting for people. And I've been listening to a number of, of a variety of podcasts recently and, uh, on a number of topics. And there have been so many conversations, and I saw myself in this, of the power that I have or that is ascribed to me, given my role or how I move about the world, and the fact that I cannot own it. It is not mine to own. Um, and I, 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 rec I resonate with this because the times when I have exerted my power, um, and I try not to do it often because I know that can be, um, there's a certain perception with that, that I have experienced people receiving my um, exertion of power, not obviously in an uh, oppressive way, but sometimes power is, is oppressive. Um, when I've done that, I have been either called or um, never to my face, it always rolls back around to me angry or aggressive or power hungry or something like that. And I'm, this is me thinking, well, somebody needed to make a decision about that. And sometimes power can play itself out in the decisions that we make or don't make. So the things that you don't say speak a lot to what your decision or your choice or your thought on the matter is. But the whole trope of angry, aggressive, um, again, power hungry, not considering other people when making a decision and quote unquote exerting the power. Again, it's really a disconnect when people are like, you're in such a powerful position. And, and in their mind, they have expectations of what power means and how other people should play it out. So I know that people have expectations of how I 
am supposed to play out power, especially coming from a number of marginalized identities, but then not being able, again, to recon reconcile that with the positional power that I have. Um, black women are amazing. So if you if this is your first time listening to the show, you should always know that black women are amazing. It's not new. Black women possess so much strength and power. And it's weird that it seems like in the last like few years, people have started to pay attention. We've always been here. We have always been here. But now people are starting to pay attention to the role and the crucial existence of black women in politics, in education. Um, we are caregivers, uplifters. We're doctors without the degree. We're authors without books. We are therapists without the credentials. Um, but it's just now in this last few years that people have started to pay attention that how influential black women have been and how, how we use our power. And we have been using our power um, overtly and covertly for centuries. The voices of black women are essential. There's so many things that people don't realize that black women influence. Apparently, this is my, uh, uh, my uh, sharing of a black history uh, episode as well. But the power that black women have in the society is so crucial to the success of the society. So when you see the memes or the videos of like, this couldn't happen without black women or black women are people, the, the ones who uplift and hold up communities. They are, they feed communities. They make, as my mom would say, they make a, a way out of no way. They certainly roll into the, like, we can feed 500 people with five fish and two loaves, two loaves and five fish. I can't remember, charge it to my head and not my heart. But there's just, I've been so heavy thinking about power and what that means. And how do I use that? Knowing that one of the things that I'm working on with a mentor of mine is how do I, how do I personally consider how my power plays out in my work? And because it's so easy to lean into my marginalized identities. So being a woman, being a black, so the black woman, so i.e. a woman of color, being queer or gay and leading with that kind of deficit mind uh, frame. And really, when people see me in the role that I'm in, they see the power structure, the power that I have. Minus, like, it's, it's almost like my color is secondary or tertiary because I sit in a positional power. Ba based on where I sit in um, my profession right now, people see that power. And I'm over here seeing the my blackness, my queerness, my womanness, and I can't wrap my mind around like, well, wait a minute, why are people trying to come for me? I am like, I am one of them. I am in a marginalized group. Um, my upbringing kind of was, for all intents and purposes, had some elements of uh, being marginalized in terms of economic status, et cetera. And I have to, I've been trying to work through in my mind. And I don't know if accept is the right word, but at least acknowledge, recognize, and um, consider that as I make decisions, as I move about the world, uh, people see me in power. They're not seeing the marginalized pieces of me, especially if, if you don't know me. Yes, they, I think they will outwardly see black queer woman um, as a, a physical presentation and manifestation of who I am. But they see like you're a part of the man, quote unquote. 
you're part of the power structure. You want you're in this for personal gain and you're not looking out for the little person or, you know, the real marginalized communities. And so it's it's been hard to see and understand that that's how people see me without talking to me, without knowing me. They will see my name and they will see my title. So they may they probably make inferences on my name that I am black um, and but they see my title and they see you influence one way or the other. You can either help me in significant ways or you can hurt me in significant ways, but there's no middle ground. So I don't have an answer for that, to be real honest, um, but it's just it's something that I'm grappling with. And, I, and I'm wondering if other um, folks who are so are used to leading from the marginalized community and then being in positions of power or influence. And how do you work through that? Like, what is the conversation in your head? There's no working through. Actually, I think there's a there's a recognition that we have to have that that influences how we make decisions. And so now when I think about that, it's, it's never going to end um, based on where career wise, where I am and where I want to go. I will likely always have some level like be seen as the man or in positional power, regardless of my the marginalized identities that I lead with that I that are the thing that are core to me. And they kind of um, they really shape or color, for lack of a better term, how I make decisions and how I go about communicating the things that I think are important to the folks that I'm working with, the folks that I'm working um, beside and the folks that even the folks that I report to. So, yeah, the expectations of power are are really complex. And I, I, please feel free to DM me or comment when this go when you listen to this. How do you navigate that space if you navigate it or have you even thought about it? Because it took me a real long time, just really the last like four or five years to really consider the power that I have, even as I want to lead um, and want is, I guess want is kind of a tricky word, but I want to lead from a marginalized base because that's what I know. And I am not in that space as heavily anymore, especially for folks who are outwardly looking in. So I'm real curious to hear what folks have to say about that. You can slide in my DMs um, or comment when you listen to this. Um, the next thing that I talk, uh, I went to, I hosted a workshop at work and there was a presenter and we were talking about um, email communication. And I think I've talked about email um, or communicating in writing before, but it was funny because I realized how, um, thankfully, I wasn't off in terms of um, this person is a business professional and f- focuses on communication. And so she was going through like how to write an email specifically. Like, you know, you, you intro the top. You don't need to say, hi, my name is such and such because that's reserved for in-person greetings. Um, and I was like, oh, legit. And then like making sure that the intro is solid, no more than two or three sentences. And the bottom is solid because people are going to look at the top and look at the bottom of like, what is it that you're emailing me for me? And when do you need me to respond? And what do you need of me? Rather than like the context and all the things in the middle. And then I was thinking, um, I am on my fair share uh, end of receiving like tart or salty emails from people. And then there's the expectation. And then they ask for something like in the last little paragraph or last few sentences. Um, 
And sometimes I read these messages and I have to sit with them because I value consistency and a consistent paycheck. Um, but I can also read someone very gently and they, and, or harshly, and it could be taken the wrong way. What is the wrong way you ask? That's neither here nor there. But I was like, as she was talking, I was like, I wonder if one, what would it be like one day? I'm not going to do it. But what would it be like one day to give people the response that they deserve? Not the response that they want or that's really going to be responsive to their question or their ask or whatever. But what if like I could be so bold one day and to give people the response that they deserve? Like you come at me sideways with all of these extra things and demands and expectations of what you you want from me or you require of me. And what if I just gave you the response that you deserve as opposed to the response that would actually answer the question and move on? Again, I'm not going to do that. But if you are in the business world at all, if you have any sort of digital communication, um, I will start to think about, and if you like to do the salty read in an email or something like that, think about what if the person responded and gave you the response that you deserved? And let that be the guide of how you shape your message. I'm not saying you have to be fake or phony or um, put a smiley face in the, the email or exclamation points. Um, but think about the writing and like how your writing is really for the, the reader. Yes, it's supposed to get your message across, but write in a manner that is respectful, like you're talking to a damn adult. Um, cause I've seen so many emails where people just come out of pocket and I'm thinking you have no, you, you don't know me. And so I realize that you may be frustrated and you better be glad I'm not going to give you the answer that you deserve. I'm going to give you the answer and the response that is probably appropriate for what you're actually looking for in terms of, you know, getting a response from me. But if you write emails that are salty and you think like, I'm going to read this person via email, Check yourself because one day somebody is going to give you the response that you deserve and then you're going to be mad about it. But then you, I don't want to be like you started it, but you started it. So if you are communicating and writing and asking people of things, remember that you're talking to a human being, get to the point, say the ask and write it in a manner that if I were to respond, I'm not having to decide of like, Ooh, am I going to give this person the response they deserve or I'm just going to respond um, it's amazing to me how many people come out of pocket in emails. It's ridiculous. I'm thinking this is a digital record. I can print this bad boy out. I can save this as a PDF to my computer so I don't waste paper, but I'll, I will keep this. And there's no, to my knowledge, it, some, uh, email programs, you can like 30 seconds and you can take it back. Like it never existed. Um, most people don't know how to do that. I know how to do it, thankfully, but <clears throat> be mindful if you're communicating out, don't set yourself up to, to get the response that you deserve because that's never a good look. Um, also, know when something's not an email. Maybe it's more appropriate for a phone call. Sometimes I've gotten salty emails. Apparently, this is a, a little read on emails. I've gotten emails before where it's like salty on one end, and I intentionally choose to not respond back um, with any level of detail. I say, this sounds like a conversation that's better for the phone. That does two things. One, it says, I'm not going to engage in your tomfoolery and get caught up in this email back and forth. Um, because at the end of the day, 
I will have written something really short and invited the conversation in person, and you have gone on this, like, long diatribe of the ills of the world. So then you look foolish. And then number two, not everything is for email. It's not. There's some things that we should go ahead. It's going to be faster for me to, for us to talk in person and get the thing done rather than email and go back and forth and back and forth, and you sitting two doors down. That doesn't make any sense. So think about that um, as you are writing your emails and you think, am I going to get the response I deserve? Or should I re reframe how this email is written? All right, y'all. So that's it for this week. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram under Two Quick Things. Um, you can also find the show and share it if you like on Apple Podcasts. It's now on Stitcher. Woohoo! It is on SoundCloud. It is also on Google Play, Google Music. I don't remember how exactly that looks or what I'm supposed to say with that. I'll put it in, um, it's in my link tree under the two quick things Instagram story, but I'll, I'll try to shout it out on the post as well. But I'm trying and I'm learning these things of how to get it up. So shout out to me. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm getting better. Um, so yeah, and I got some fun stuff coming up in life. I'm hoping to be able to share that relatively soon. So keep listening and I'll get out y'all later. <laughs>